Hi, and welcome to my podcast. The first seminar I chose to speak about was Adverse Childhood Events, or better known as ACEs. This seminar made me realize how common having an ACE event may be. I learned that these events can vary from abuse to neglect and household dysfunction. I know many people who have had parents who abuse alcohol or whose parents are divorced, and I never knew how seriously it can affect their lives. I was taken back at the maltreatment rates in Ontario. In 2018, over 148,000 child maltreatment investigations took place. I also learned about the risks associated with ACEs, such as unhealthy behaviors as a way of coping and mental illnesses. After the seminar, I took the time to do my own research and further learn about trauma-informed care. Trauma-informed care promotes environments of healing and recovery rather than practices that may inadvertently re-traumatize. In my future practice, I will educate myself on the implication that ACEs may have on an individual to better recognize the presence of trauma symptoms and acknowledge the role trauma plays in an individual's life. I will never know what someone else is going through or has gone through. I will take the time to listen and learn how my patient is situated and constituted in the world. I must listen to the patient's history and background to get a better understanding of what the patient may be carrying around in their own backpack. I must be curious and not afraid to feel uncomfortable. Rather than asking, what is wrong with this person? I will ask, what has happened to this person to make them feel this way? The first article I chose identifies the prevalence and patterns of ACEs in a large sample of LGBTQ plus youth. I chose this article as I thought it would be interesting as two seminar topics interconnected. The article reveals the prevalence and rates of ACEs among LGBTQ plus adults are much higher than in heterosexual populations. The stigma experienced by LGBTQ plus populations can complicate the consequences of childhood trauma. For LGBTQ plus youth, who may be perceived as not conforming to society's expectations, can cause peer family rejection and negative self-narratives that can induce trauma. It pains me to accept the brutal reality that some family and friends may cause ACEs and trauma to their own children for simply being who they are. The second article I chose investigates the relationship between ACEs and obesity in children. Obesity among young adults in the population is a growing public health concern. The article revealed that ACEs and childhood obesity are positively associated. However, obesity in response to ACEs does not seem to occur instantaneously. Obesity is just one of the possible risk factors of ACEs. This article helped me further understand that adverse childhood events are important risk factors for not only poor psychological outcomes in adulthood, but also risky lifestyle factors and poor physical health outcomes. The next seminar I chose to speak about was LGBTQ+. Growing up, LGBTQ plus topics rarely surfaced. My high school was the first place that LGBTQ was ever seriously talked about. When I was younger, a good friend of mine told me he was gay. He said he didn't feel comfortable telling anyone because our society is not very LGBTQ friendly. It was then I realized I needed to further educate myself on the LGBTQ committee to become an ally and hope to make this world a more accepting place. To this day, I still feel though I do not know enough and I was not fully aware of the everyday challenges the LGBTQ committee faces. I enjoyed how the seminar started with everyone introducing themselves and their pronouns. I feel as though it allowed people to have an opportunity to introduce themselves as who they are. The statistics of LGBTQ patients and families' access to healthcare shocked me. The one that stood out to me the most was that 8% of LGBTQ plus patients refused to be seen by a healthcare provider and that 6% were refused, were refused healthcare related to their sexual orientation. No one should be judged based on their sexual orientation, race, religion, choices, and decisions. I believe that we are all born equal but are not treated that way. When I am a nurse, I will treat everyone with the care and respect they deserve. I will take time to educate myself and use inclusive language and behaviors towards LGBTQ plus patients and families. 
I will provide cultural safety and respect to all my patients, focusing on using the RESPECT acronym. In a linguistic contents, I will ask the patient their preferred pronoun and use correct terminology while treating patients who fall under the LGBTQ demographic. Using the five C's, I will be curious. I will be curious about the patient's past encounters in healthcare. I will listen and learn how to better my care. I will be corresponding by doing whatever I can to best provide care for my patient. I will treat them with respect and act as an advocate for them. The first article I chose explores the perceived barriers to primary healthcare as identified among a sample of LGBTQ plus committee in Nova Scotia. Results indicated that the primary healthcare needs of LGBTQ plus populations in Nova Scotia are not being met. Many participants reported being uncertain about the level of LGBTQ plus friendliness of their family doctor, their knowledge and cultural competence of LGBTQ issues, and the inclusiveness of the healthcare system. It is clear that everyone, not only healthcare workers, need to be more educated regarding the LGBTQ committee. Another thing that stood out to me in the article was that only 9.4% of non-LGBTQ identified healthcare providers indicate that they felt very knowledgeable about issues related to sexual orientation and sexual behavior. There is a clear inequity in healthcare to the LGBTQ committee that may just be a result of a lack of education and uncertainty. The second article I chose examines the client provide a relationship in the LGBTQ committee. The article highlights how gender and sexual minorities are more likely to report unfavorable experiences with primary care. Aside from being refused care, additional challenges include stigma, discrimination, social rejection, and violence. In addition, LGBTQ clients who do not feel satisfied with their care do not feel confident in their ability to receive adequate future mental health care. This article made me think twice about how one interaction with a healthcare worker can change a client's life forever. The next seminar I chose to speak about was the ethical dilemmas in maternal, newborn, and child. I chose this topic because I understand when I am a nurse, no matter the specialty, I would run into plenty of ethical challenges in my everyday work. I enjoyed how the seminar specifically focused on the topic of abortions. I constantly hear people voicing their own opinion regarding abortions, but the problem is when someone starts to tell others what is wrong and right for their body. I enjoyed how the seminar advocated for the individual's right to autonomy. Something I've learned throughout my two years in nursing school is that you can never force a patient to make a decision. As a nurse, I will never force a patient to make a a decision, but rather educate them on why one decision may be better than the other. I must accept the decisions made and support the patient however I can. When caring for my patient, ethical dilemmas will arise constantly, and these dilemmas may at times conflict with the code of ethics and my own personal values. No matter the ethical issue, I will never let my own bias and opinions alter my care, and I will follow and respect the principles of ethics, which are autonomy, beneficence, justice, and non-malefiance. Using an HP lens, I will work with my patient to understand what is important and unique to them. I will give my patients power to make their own decisions regarding their body and their care. I will be competent by being informed about the complexity of ethical decision-making. I will take the time to educate myself and understand the ethical issue from both a legal and ethical standpoint. I will be compassionate and understand that sometimes when patients make decisions, it may not be because they want to make this decision, but rather they feel as though it is the best decision to make for themselves and others around them. I will listen to my patients' concerns and validate their feelings. Ethical dilemmas can result in confusion and distress of a patient. The first article I chose investigates the ethical challenges neonatal nurses experience in their day-to-day care for critically ill newborns. The article focuses on the life and death decisions neonatal nurses make. The findings of this article revealed that nurses experience a diverse range of ethical challenges related to interactions with patients and colleagues, emotional strain, and fighting for the infant's rights. 
This study increased my knowledge and understanding of the reality of nursing in the neonatal intensive care unit. The second article I chose explores ethical questions concerning newborn genetic screening. At first, newborn genetic screening seems like a great idea. The article then brought my attention to the ethical issues that may arise. These can include the possibility of overdiagnosis or overtreatment. After finishing this article, my question was, does genetic screening cause unnecessary stress to the patient? The article reveals that genetic screening can diagnose a patient, but the severity of the diagnosis may be difficult to determine. I can only imagine a doctor telling me that my child is sick, but whether this sickness is life-threatening is unknown. This would cause a great deal of stress to any parent, which makes me second-guess whether genetic screening of a newborn is ethical. The next seminar I chose to speak about was about mental health in adolescents and young adults. I chose this seminar because I think mental health is a topic that is sometimes ignored, and there is a lot of stigma associated with it. An example of stigma I've heard is that if you can't see the illness, it's not real. I want to put a stop to these stigmas and help others become more educated on mental health. My mental health clinical placement has taught me that oftentimes people hide their feelings due to fear of stigmatization and what others will think of them, and this may be a reason why people do not reach out for help. With COVID-19, I have seen how this pandemic has affected mental health, including my own. Not being able to leave my house or see your families and friends negatively affects one's mental health. Something that stood out to me in the seminar presentation was that between 15 and 25% of Canadians will experience a mental health illness before the age of 19. That made me realize how mental health can affect anyone, including my own friends and family around me. Using a socio-political context, I will eliminate the nurse power imbalance and ensure my patient does not feel judged. I will be compassionate, I will listen to my patient, and I will validate their feelings and confirm their humanity. I will tell them it is okay to cry and it is okay to feel the way you feel. The first article I chose talks about mental health of young people during the COVID-19 lockdown. The article reveals that there has been an increase in self-harm with young people during the lockdown and the number of people seeking help for self-harm has also increased. It is clear that this lockdown is negatively affecting mental health. This article also reminded me of the importance of checking up on family and friends and seeing how they are doing during these difficult times. The second article I chose explores the effectiveness of school-based skills training programs promoting mental health in adolescents. School can be stressful and can cause an increased risk of developing mental health problems such as burnout, depression, and anxiety. The article talks about the effectiveness of school-based programs targeting skills to deal with performance anxiety or social skills. Schools must provide students with interventions to help them cope with stress-inducing factors and to prevent the development of mental health problems. The final seminar I chose was feeding and eating disorders. I chose this topic because I feel as though our society now has created a world in which the perfect body exists, when that is simply not the case, as there is no such thing as a perfect body. After seeing what media portrays as a perfect body, one may look at themselves and go, I'm not skinny enough, or I don't have the perfect legs. And to say that these thoughts have never occurred to myself or my friends, I'd be lying. The worst part is, is that sometimes may not even people may not even realize they have an eating disorder. Some may think that skipping meals is harmless and do not think about the negative health impacts that result from undereating. What stood out to me the most in this presentation was the link between anorexia and suicidal ideation. I learned that approximately every one in five deaths in people with anorexia are suicide related. Something else that caught my attention was the behavioral signs of anorexia being one calling themselves fat or skipping meals and these signs may go unnoticeable to some. As a future nurse, I want my patient to know their feelings are validated and that they are being cared for. I'll take the time to understand my patient and their world, what is meaningful to them and their history. 
I will use a proximal distal view when caring for my patient and help them both physically and mentally. I understand that eating disorders can be a very sensitive topic, and I will be empathetic and compassionate with my patient. The first article I chose talked about COVID-19 and its implication for eating disorders. Concerns about health during the stay-at-home order is a precipitating factor for the development of an eating disorder. Isolation and loneliness are common consequences of an eating disorder that may be exaggerated by the imposed quarantine. I think everyone should take a moment and reflect and think about how this pandemic may have influenced their eating habits, exercise habits, and whether they have incorporated positive coping mechanisms into their lives. The second article I chose examines the association between social media and self-reported eating disorders in adolescents. Adolescents completed a questionnaire and a self-report on their body image feelings on social media. Media can cause body checking, constantly checking on your body image and comparing it to others. Monitoring of likes and comments on uploaded photos may be an online manifestation of reassurance seeking. Finally, compulsive appearance fixing is a direct factor in body image disorders. The topic of the negative impacts of social media may seem silly to some, but in reality, it is a very serious topic and it should be something that is talked about. Social media can influence both adolescents and adults and could lead to very severe body dysmorphia. Thank you for listening to my podcast.